Welcome to A Handful of Hope, where we bring you heart-to-heart conversations with heart-centered people. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of A Handful of Hope. I am so happy and grateful to have Tim with us here today, who is an award-winning entrepreneur originally from Edmonton, now living in Austin, Texas. He's been a guest lecturer at NYU in New York City and has appeared on the Forbes and Inc. magazine websites. Tim's company, Profit Factory, teaches financial literacy for entrepreneurs and investors. After the 2009 crash, Tim's net worth plummeted to minus 200,000. The stress and exhaustion of those losses led to Tim developing a stress-related illness called, is it arrhythmia, Tim? Erythemia nodosum. Erythemia nodosum. Oh, it rolls right off the tongue. He couldn't walk for three months. After a divine encounter, Tim discovered his true purpose in life. As soon as he could walk again, he got back to work. It was a long journey to pay off all debts, but he did it and learned priceless lessons about business, money, and life along the way. Today, Tim owns two companies, Profit Factory and Great Assistant. Tim, welcome, and thank you so very much for being here. Honored to be here, my friend. Always a pleasure to chat with you. Yeah, you know, I didn't realize you were from Edmonton. I have a virtual birthday party, actually, from one of my good friends who's living just outside of Edmonton. And as a true to Canadian form, they have in the middle of a pandemic, a bartender on tap to do Zoom, <laughs> Zoom training on how to properly pour drinks. <laughs> That's great. Well, yeah, I mean, I lived up there for like more than three decades. So if you want any insider info, I'm happy to feed you some uh, insider, insider info. Yeah, dude, absolutely. I'm always looking to in, get the insider info on my Canadian friends. So Tim, I, you know, we were talking a little bit beforehand. I think there is a really misclassification of what it means to be successful as an entrepreneur today. I, we, we live in a world right now, and I'm curious to see how this, how this changes or evolves after the pandemic, if it does, where if you spend any more than two minutes scrolling on Facebook, you will see no fewer than eight ads that will promise you that if you follow this simple formula, you will earn seven figures in 36 hours have a Lamborghini, private jet, and walk around with stacks of $100 bills. And I've personally found, and I think you have too, that it's successful as an entrepreneur usually isn't quite like that. And I'm hoping that maybe you, we can start there. What have you found success as an entrepreneur really is? Well, so uh, to me, there's a very, very long list of vanity metrics. These are the metrics that entrepreneurs, marketers, salespeople all like to talk about. And um, it's almost treated as though it is success. Things like uh, sales, how big my launch was, do I have a six-figure or seven-figure business, how many staff I have, how many businesses I own, how many followers I have on YouTube or Instagram, how many downloads I have on my podcast. These are all vanity metrics. They're all vanity metrics. And to me, none of them represent true progress. I think they're important for process uh, to maybe get towards progress, but in of themselves, they are not progress. It's kind of like, you know, if you, if you were to say to a mountain climber, um, you know, how high did you climb? And, you know, they say, oh, well, you know, I climbed a thousand feet and I went down 500 feet and I went up 2000 feet and down 5,000 feet and up and the up and the down, the up and the down. And, and they, they might want to tell you what are the, what are the climbs they've done? And as if that's kind of like ultimately the success, but if what we're looking for is how much elevation did you gain from the beginning to the end, mm-hmm. we need to take into account how much you also went down and it doesn't really fit the climbing analogy, but there are 
there are tons of companies, no kidding, that sell more and more and more, keep less and less and less, and have less and less cash on hand, and literally go bankrupt because they sold too much. I know that sounds like it's not even logically possible, but I've watched it happen over and over again. Um, there's uh, a, a, a person I know, uh, an entrepreneur, and uh, he tells a story of waking up in the morning one day, going to a photo shoot for a fast growth award that he was being awarded. So it was like the Inc. 500 awards. It wasn't the Inc. 500 awards, but it's like the Inc. 500 awards. And um, does the photo shoot in the morning. And that same day in the afternoon, he then went to his lawyer's office to talk about his options to avoid bankruptcy. Wow. In the same day. There is such a toxic, toxic culture out there in entrepreneurship that sales cures all. Even Mark Cuban says it right on Shark Tank. You know, sales cures all, sales cures all. It doesn't. It doesn't. Mm -hmm. And uh, the the disease out there of you know miss the the misinformation around oh if you just do this you'll get the Lamborghinis and bikinis is so misinformed. Like if any one of the Lamborghinis and bikinis guys ever had the courage to show me their financials, I think that, uh, you know, they'd feel very exposed very quickly. Um, no, there's nothing wrong with Lamborghinis and bikinis. Like, I think that's fantastic, you know, to have goals and dreams. And I'm not here to judge whether Lamborghinis more or better than donating money to a charity or starting a school in Africa, or if you want to buy a parent, your parent, you know, your parents a house. I'm not here to judge how you're going to use that money. But what I am here to judge is what's the truth. What is the mm -hmm. truth of what's really going on here? And a very, very simple example is, you know, you're watching YouTube, you see the pre-roll ad of the, you know, I started my Amazon store and I made $30,000 in a month or whatever. They'll show you, they'll show you the statement as if it's like proving that they're successful. And what they're showing you is how much they've sold. It doesn't mention a single thing about the cost of the inventory that they had to buy. It doesn't tell you a damn thing about how much they paid on shipping to get that across the ocean and into the hands of their buyer or, or to the Amazon you know, warehouse. It doesn't tell you a single thing about how much they spent on ads to get the, those sales to happen. It doesn't speak anything about any of the overhead costs, like the education they paid for to learn how to do that. It doesn't speak to it. And I could keep going and going and going and going and going. And, you know, what really drives me up the wall, like to an extent, the 22 year old who promises that you can make 50 grand a month and he's in front of a rented Lamborghini. In fact, he maybe didn't even rent it, but he, you know, it, it was in a showroom and he cropped out the background or something. It's like, you know, uh, what, what to me is even more appalling than that is the fact that major publications like Inc. Magazine are saying these are the 500 or 5,000 most successful. And like, these are not my words. This is their words. They say, these are the most successful companies in America, hmm. these 5,000 companies. And look, if they said these are the fastest growing, I could maybe give them a pass on that. You know, like, yes, it's fast. Because Inc. just calculates it as the top 5,000 fastest growing American privately held companies based on revenue and revenue only. That's it. Like they don't care if you didn't keep a dime of it. They don't care if you sold, you know, as long as you sold maybe 10 to 15,000% increase over three years, now you no longer, like it doesn't matter if you went $100 million in debt doing it and you know, you've, you're about on the edge of bankruptcy. And 
a company like, like, okay, if it's a 21 year old in front of a Lamborghini buying an ad on YouTube, I can maybe say, okay, that's youthful ignorance. And they just, you know, they're inexperienced and maybe they're a little confused and they haven't had enough tread on the tires of life to kind of understand like what business is really like. Um, but a big company like Inc, you know, major publication run by mm-hmm. adults, you know what I mean? I'm just kind of like you guys, like such, it's just, so I think there's really only four numbers or let's say four factors that represent true success. Um, the very first one is what kind of free cash have I generated? Now sales is different than profit is different than cash is different than free cash. And you know, to the extent you want to jam on that, I'm happy to go deeper on that. Um, I won't bore you with it if you don't want to go deeper on that. Um, secondly, I think the second metric of success is actually market, not the book value, but the market value of our company if we're ever looking to sell it. What is the true value in the marketplace if someone wanted to buy it? Not what my tax return says, not what my accounting says or my accountant says, but what is the market value? What would the market have to say about what they would buy my company for? Um, the third is maybe not quantifiable quite like the first two, but what is my own inner fulfillment of being in this business? What is the inner fulfillment of my teammates? Like how much do we feel like we're on purpose? I think that's very, very important. Um, I would never want anyone to feel like they can crush it at generating free cash and you know market-based value of company, but wake up one day at 85 years old, maybe their health is failing, wondering you know what was it all for, right? So I think that inner fulfillment really matters. And lastly is what is our outer contribution? I think that, you know, uh, our outer contribution in terms of whether that's customers served or problems we've solved, maybe, maybe it's even legacy pieces we've left behind us, like books we've written or something like that. You know, I think that outer contribution piece, um, you know, is really, really important too. Cause again, um, you know, maybe you can't take the money with you, but knowing that you've helped a lot of folks along the way, like there's just something for the soul that I think is really powerful there. So I think those are the four um, true progress uh, metrics or goals to shoot for. And none of those four are six figure launch, seven figure business, $100,000 Amazon Prime Day, like none of that, none of that, none of that. And not that those numbers aren't important, but they're, they're only a process metric to get us to the four progress metrics that, mm-hmm. in my opinion, matter the most. Tim, I'm wondering. Going through, you you have such a breadth of knowledge and understanding, I think, especially a keen insight of entrepreneur journey and spirit that's not often acknowledged nor talked about, which is probably the one that really does need to be acknowledged and talked about more. When you, I want to rewind back, when you were laying in bed, 200,000 in debt, and you have this divine encounter, what was what was the biggest awareness, aha, insight? Because the reason I ask is I feel like most people will will get so tangled up in these vanity metrics that they may wind in a place where they are so cash negative that they're done, or they may try it for three weeks and they say, well, that didn't work. I'm not getting whatever feedback they give up on it. Or if they were in such a, a low place like you are, they would just say, you know, kind of like, what's the point? This is crazy. I, 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 I give up. This is it. What was it that was it something you said to yourself? What was your awareness that you had that got you to pick yourself up and, and, begin anew? So for me, you know, I, I had been chasing fame and fortune, Mm. um, through real estate investing and being a touring drummer. So I, my band played 150 shows. We're three sponsors, airplane, eight different towns and cities. And, uh, we're invited to play at the Western Canadian music awards. So it's like, you know, we, 
we'd made some traction, which was really cool. Um, and uh, it was in an 18 month span that real estate mark, uh, market collapsed in kind of 2009, right? And so that's where I lost a ton of money. Um, my band broke up 20 minutes before going on stage at the Western Canadian Music Awards, which is heartbreaking. And a mentor of mine, one of his business partners, was uh, convicted in court of a $12 million pon- what turned into a Ponzi scheme. Uh, he was barred from holding securities for 25 years and given a $225,000 fine and, and more or less left the country. Like it was, it was an wow. ugly situation. So the stress of all of that led to, you know, the illness, I believe. Um, and the illness uh, was a real divine intervention, you know, so moved back in with my parents for full-time care, had my mom not paid my mortgage for me for three months, I would have gone double bankrupt, my business and in my personal finance. And I went through every emotion, Jesse. I went from angry to defeated to upset to curious about what might be next to then feeling totally disheartened. Like it was a real roller coaster. And it's probably sometime in February of 2011, uh, month number two of my illness. And um, I'm just laying in bed day after day. And I felt a warmth in my body and a tingling like I'd never felt before. And I heard a voice and it said, Tim, entrepreneurship, is this really what you want? And in that moment, I don't know if a moment went by, like a minute, an hour, like it was just like time stood still. And so in that moment, then I heard another voice. It was quiet. It was weak. It was kind of distant, but it was clear. And it said, yes, this is what I want. And in that moment, all of a sudden, like this cascade of realizations, one after the other went through my head, my heart, my spirit. Hmm. And I realized that I'd been chasing fame and fortune when what I needed to be chasing was truth and mastery. Hmm. And what was there in that moment was the question, what would have to be true for me to love the process every day, week, and month, even if I never became rich and famous? And suddenly it was like the whole world just shifted around me in and it was almost like in a breath, like it was just the whole world shifted around me. And in that moment, it was like shedding an old, it was almost like a rebirth or like the, the butterfly that goes in as a worm and, you know, mm-hmm. emerges as a butterfly type thing. And, uh, and I, I had to turn to mush first, like the, like the caterpillar does, you know, um, and, and the, the reemergence yeah, and it taught me something very interesting about fame and fortune. Cause you know, now I've been in, uh, you know, I've been, uh, seen on the Forbes website, the Inc. Uh, website, and been invited to be a guest lecturer. And I've spoken all over North America. And so I've gotten some recognition. And um, fame and fortune is like a cat, you know, like a kitty cat. If you chase it, it's going to hide under the bed. It's impossible to get to. It's super frustrating. It's exhausting. On the other hand, if you just sit down, you get to work. Just sit down at your laptop, do the next thing, then the next day, do the next thing, then the next day, do the next thing, and just be super focused on your work and do good things for people, you know, at, you know, in, an, in a situation where you can make some money doing it. All of a sudden, that cat's jumping up on your lap. It's rubbing its face on, your key, on the edge of your screen. It's walking on the keyboards. You can't get this damn thing out of your face. And if you start chasing it again, guess what? It hides again, right? So, to kind of have that proper respect is really, really important and to be focused on the right things. Um, a couple books that come to mind, um, you know, I think that there's a lot of hype and energy and excitement because of books like The 4-Hour Workweek, books like Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I think though those, those books can provide some nice wings, if you will, in terms of like, you know, what's possible in the big wide world. 
Um, I think a, a couple books that provide a lot of really nice roots. There's a book called So Good They Can't Ignore You by Cal Newport. I almost wish that book was actually bundled with the four-hour work week and you were forbidden from reading the four-hour work week unless you read So Good They Can't Ignore You at the same time because <laughs> mm-hmm. it's just so important to get really damn good at solving problems for people. Um, and a very interesting concept is actually in a book called Millionaire Fastlane by MJ DeMarco. Uh, a bit of a hypey title, but uh, the book is actually quite good. Um, he talked about, you know, the world is kind of divided between consumers and producers. And if you're going to run around your world and you measure success based on consumption, then you're going to get one set of results. And if you measure your results based on production, you're going to get a different set of results. And to measure your life on consumption is like, what car do I drive? What house do I have? Hmm. How much can I consume products and services? How much can I consume travel? All the rest. Whereas production would be like, you know, how many customers can I serve? What, what are the problems I can solve? How, how many people can I solve that for? What products can I produce, even physical products? What services can I invent? What team can I create? Create, 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 create. And it's so interesting that the more that I've focused on creation ever since that turning point in February of 2011, almost a decade ago, the more that the glitz and the glam opportunities have just kind of showed up. You know, mm. I, I was actually invited and paid to fly to Bermuda last year. It's like, and it's like Bermuda is spectacular. It's everything you imagine in terms of like the beautiful blue waters and the people are incredible. Um, and they put, put me up at like a Fairmont hotel and like, like that's where I spent my birthday was drinking Viv Clicquot champagne overlooking the beautiful Bermuda blue water with amazing locals. It was an unbelievable experience. I even did a photo shoot while I was there and all of that happened because I got really, really dang good at, you know, uh, at helping entrepreneurs get executive assistance and, you know, through my company, great assistant. And so, um, It's like the glitz and the glam will come when you're focused on production, which ironically means you're not focused on the glitz and the glam, if that makes sense. That's incredible. Tim, I know you have a super tight connection. So let's ask you one final quick question. And I want to just, I think it'd be powerful just to draw to this distinction because I do think a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with this. When you were chasing the fame and fortune early on, what did you believe that that would bring you? And when you now have had the experience or you have the brushes with fame and fortune, how is that different from the initial belief you had? So it is, it is implicit to the human existence. None of us can escape it. Okay. Is the lottery mentality of if I just win the lottery, I won't have any money problems. If I just meet the right partner, I'll be happy forever. If I just get the record contract, I'm set for life. If I just Mm. get, the diet pill or the workout program or to the certain number on the scale, then I can feel good about myself. We have what's called a closed ended version of reality. Like my reality operates such that once I hit a certain point, it's closed ended, it's solved, it's done, it's dusted. It's, you know, I'm never gonna have to worry about it again. And, and uh, uh, one of my, one of the teachers that's been very influential for me is a guy named Keith Cunningham. He said, the idea of passive income is kind of like the idea of having a passive relationship. Can you imagine mm-hmm. saying to your boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, look, we're going to work real hard on this thing for like two years. We're going to crush it. We're going to really knock it out of the park. This relationship, I'm going to be an A plus boyfriend, husband, girlfriend, wife, whatever it is for you. And after that, we're just going to put this thing on autopilot. We're just going to let it coast. Like, you know, or with our health, right? I'm going to work out. I'm going to count all my macros, weigh all my food, never miss a workout, sleep like a boss for two straight years. And after that, I'm good. It's done. Problem solved. Put this thing on autopilot. It doesn't exist. And the moment that I realized 
that it does not exist. And the only reason everyone in the marketplace that's talking about, oh, passive income is because there's enough of a demand out there of eager, usually younger people, such as my former self, that are so desperate for it to be true. We're so desperate mm -hmm. for it to be true. We will plug our umbilical cord into whoever is giving us the message that we want to hear. And so uh, it's true only because we want it to be true, not because it actually is true. And so the whole idea of set it and forget it, it it's, it's so appealing. And so I had this view of, if I can just do a certain number of real estate deals, then I will have a certain amount of money and then I will be free. And if you look at the languaging, that's have, do, be. Hmm. It's, I'm sorry, do, have, be. It's a very Western way of looking at life. You know, or do, have, be is another very Western way of looking at life. In fact, freedom, happiness, fulfillment, all of that is a being quality and actually has nothing to do with doing and having. It's very influenced by it, but it's not implicitly the same. And so I had this incredibly powerful moment. Um, I did a, a, a series of incredible courses through a group called Satvatov. Uh, Satvatov.com is their website. And I realized that I could be free whether I was rich or poor. I could be free whether I was you know, in Edmonton, Canada or any other city. I could feel fulfilled. I could feel accepted. I could experience all of those being mm. qualities. We in the Western world chase those thinking that cars and houses and trips are going to give it to us. Um, when in fact it's the being quality and it's, it's independent of the doing and having. And as soon as that light bulb went off, I went, wow, the rest of this is just window dressing. I need to be focused on what's really important here. And that's in the being category. So I just encourage everyone look at your language and say, once I do this, or once I have that, then I can be this other thing. Catch, catch yourself, catch yourself. Yep. Cause it's already a does not compute type, uh, logic. It's, it's, it doesn't work. So now I think doing and having is fantastic, but let's do it from the place of, I want to be a creator. I want to be uh, valuable. I want to be industrious. I want to be passionate. I want to be awake. I want to be alive. Let's be all those things and let's be free in the process of building whatever it is that we want to do and have. Everyone, I usually do the full summary, but Tim has to jump off. He's got a hard connection right after this. So I'll do a quick 15 second summary and just say this. Rewatch, re-listen, take notes, and most importantly, really consider why you do what you do. Oftentimes, when you look beneath, we, we pursue things because we're looking for that proverbial lottery ticket, cash it in to get on easy street, whether it's in our relationship or business or health or wealth. But that which you really want is already available to you right now. It's that concept of human being versus human doing. Often we think we need to be the human doing to get the being peace, but maybe the real lottery ticket is just being and being right now. Tim, I know you got to run, buddy. Thank you so much. This was absolutely incredible, man. And I certainly appreciate you being here. This was a blessing. And I feel like we just got started, man. So I hope to continue this again in the near future. I look forward to it. Thanks, Jesse. You bet. We'll see you next time, everyone, on another edition of A Handful of Hope. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you're finding value in these conversations, please rate and review on Apple, Google, Stitcher, or wherever your favorite place is to listen to